You're listening to Unshaken, a podcast of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church, and I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host. Actually, you're listening to a special entire bonus season. This is one episode in our special season called Unshaken Moms. These are all talks that were given at our mom-to-mom ministry at Christ the Word Church, and we decided to upload a whole bunch of them, 12 of them. So you have 12 focused talks on motherhood. We love mothering. Uh, I'm a mom, and I think it's an important job that God has given to me. And I think if you are a mom out there, he has given it to you. So it's great to talk about these things and listen to some encouragement. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you to subscribe to Unshaken at your your favorite podcast directory. Our regularly scheduled season drops every Thursday, and this particular bonus season, which gives you 12 extra episodes, will drop also right along with each of those regularly scheduled episodes. You can also reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. If you have any questions or thoughts or comments, I'd love to hear from you. We always put our email in the show notes so it's easy to find. Now, recently, one of my kids was gone for an entire week from my house. She was gone on a mission trip. And I realized how much I talked to this child. Okay, well, actually, how much this child talks to me. Now, conversation is really important for sure, for any relationship, but it's especially important if you're a mother. So today we are going to listen to a talk given by Adrian McClavick called The Talks. Now, it's full of great information about the importance of conversation with our children. She had so much good wisdom about how and when and why we should be talking with our children. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Let's jump in and listen. A2 was tackled by number 41 on the 30-yard line. So that's the play-by-play. And um, the other commentator is called the color commentator. And the color commentator just fills in the gaps between plays with all sorts of interesting anecdotes or little bits of information that may or may not be related to what's actually going on during the playing field. So our first two children were like the sports commentators. Nathan, our firstborn, was the play-by-play. And from the earliest ages, we would say, Nathan, what did you do in school today? And he would say, I got off the bus and I hung my coat up in my locker. And then I put my folder on Mrs. Gray's desk And we started the day with a history lesson. That was Nathan. And then Audrey, where's Audrey? Hi. She was the color commentator. And I would say, Audrey, what did you do in school today? And she would say, oh, lunch was so fun. Because Allison, she was so nice. She gave me her crackers from her pizza Lunchable. And we started laughing about something and milk sprayed out of her nose. But then I got really sad at recess because they were all doing cartwheels and I still can't do a cartwheel. So now we have four more children added to the mix, and we have a couple other types of communicators in that, in that mix. We have Mr. Happy Motormouth, who talks and talks and talks, and he's cheerful, cheerful, cheerful all the time, time, time. And we have my man of few words, who you can pry information out of him, but he's probably not going to offer a whole lot, and he definitely isn't going to probably talk about how he feels about anything. In contrast to this, I have my drama queen who feels big emotions about everything. And she has big sorrow and big joy and big in-between, just emotion all over the place. 
So those of you who have multiple children probably see the same sorts of patterns in your own families. And if your first child is a babe in arms right now, or maybe a babe in utero right now, um, those things will probably soon become apparent. Although, honestly, my most unhappy baby turned out to be Mr. Happy Motormouth. So you can't always tell from when they're really little. But those tendencies in their communication styles do start to come out at a very young age. So why do I bring this up at a mom-to-mom about giving the talks? Well, because every single one of those kids needs you to communicate with them about the important issues. And with some of them, this is going to be somewhat natural and easy. And with some of them, this is not going to be natural or easy. But it's just as critical for the reluctant communicators as it is for the eager communicators. And it's up to us to level that playing field and get the job done. So how do you talk to your kids about the big and important things? Well, you start by talking about not the big important things, just talking. Research shows that a quarter of all parents admit that they spend just 34 minutes a day with their kids undistracted. And the average American family eats together just four meals a week. And over 60% of parents say that when they do get together, it's normally spent in silence in front of a television or a screen of some sort. Many of these distractions obviously are really unique to our 21st century life. Right now I'm reading the Little House series to my younger kids, and I am just so struck by how their whole lives revolved around preparing food, making food, preparing shelter, making clothing, and there really wasn't um, much entertainment to speak of, really. And the whole family did all these chores together often. And really, if you think about it, up until about 75 years ago, the whole of human history, this is pretty much how it was. Imagine life with no TV or forms of entertainment. And if you did get your work done by the end of the day, there might be, you know, there'd be conversation around a table maybe. There might be some reading a little bit, um, singing. But often it was conversation that took center stage. So contrast that to today. We all have devices, usually within arm's reach. We have unlimited sources of entertainment. Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, cute cat videos, TV, unlimited shopping at your fingertips, unlimited gaming, texting, email. And this entertainment draws us in. And we often become islands of entertainment within our own families. I have a wide range of ages in our family, and it's the same marriage, but um, we have two kids who have graduated college and have babies and are married, married and have babies. (laughs) Then we have two in junior high and we have two in elementary. My youngest is seven. So I can see a huge difference in the world that I raised my younger two kids in compared to the one that I'm raising my younger children in. Even though it's really only a difference of 17 years between the first and the last, it's a different world. And for an example, when I I went to the park when my older ones were little, we'd go to the park, and even if you didn't know the other moms, you'd end up chatting with the other moms, and the kids were playing on the playground equipment, and it was like a social thing. And now, almost every time I go to the park, if there's other families there, the kids are playing on the playground equipment, the mom's on the phone. And she's texting, or she's talking, or she's looking something up. I drive a carpool. One of my, my eighth grader is um, in school athletics, and so I end up with a lot of carpools. And the kids, when they get into my car, 
they instantly pull out their phones. And there's no conversation in the car at all, except what it, the only conversation they have would be about what they're playing on their phone. And then my kid will get into someone else's car, and there's a television, like between the seats. Like, they, you know, they can't take a seven-minute drive and maybe look out the window or talk. You know, it's got to be entertaining. Um, so it's just, it's completely different. We actually have not have a, had a television. We um, got rid of it when our oldest was like three months old. And so there's no difference in regarding that. For us, it's the internet. The internet has just changed the landscape. And um, with our older two kids, you know, they, they, we had a computer. They would use it for an occasional homework project. Um, I had gone out and bought some computer game, like we had two jumpstart computer games. I don't know if you remember those if you were that age, but, and we would actually be like, okay, it's time for a computer game. Let's put it on. And it's like a special treat. Well, now my younger kids, most of their homework assignments are on the computer. And, um, you know, when they finish that, they want to look something up on the computer or watch something on the computer. And I'm just continually praying about what is the right amount of computer time or screen time. And we've settled in our family on a guideline of 15 minutes of recreational screen time per kid, per day. But even with that guideline, it's really tricky because the computer can be such a good tool. And one of my sons plays the guitar, and there's this guy named Marty Schwartz, and he has learned so much from Marty Schwartz tutorials, and he'll, you know, look it up and learn a new song. And so does that count as his computer time? I mean, he's actually being productive. He's not just, you know, sitting there slack-jawed. Um, but it, it's just, it just cons- constant discernment like that. And it's a front and center issue in our home all the time. And here's the real issue, is I am becoming increasingly convinced that every minute spent on a device robs the people in our family of the opportunity to talk and interact with each other. And, you know, if the people in our family weren't on the phones, computers, iPad, TV, whatever, they would probably be talking. So when it's time to spend time with your children, put your phone out of sight, out of reach. Personally, I need to put mine on the other side of the room, maybe even in a different room because I can be so distracted by it. You know, I get a text or I have to look something. I mean, it's just, you know, I have to send an email, whatever. Um, I find I need to put it away. We need to cultivate a culture of conversation in our homes. We need to gather around the, t- the table for meals. And we need to not have a television on during meals. We need to limit the distractions, the activities, outside activities that we have going on at mealtime so that dinner isn't repeatedly like a drive-through you know, burger at a fast food restaurant. Of course, this doesn't mean that you can't work on the computer, you can't um, watch something together, but when it's time to be together, turn off the distractions and have conversation with your family. Turning everything off and having conversation with your kids teaches them that you care about them. You care more about them than your texting conversations with other people or your current, you know, do-it-yourself Pinterest project or... um, your YouTube videos, and conversations with them lay the groundwork for talking with them about the big things, which I'll talk about in a second. You'll have their ear. They'll be used to being heard and used to talking with you. So we need to talk to our kids, even the ones that don't necessarily want to talk to you. Reluctant talkers who don't share much often will open up if you hit them up at the right time. Some of my friends tell me that 
in the car is when works for them, that they have good conversations with their kids in the car, which maybe is because they're, you know, not direct eye contact. They're like right here, you know, maybe. I don't find that that works for me just because I'm usually not alone in a car with any one kid. So I find that my magic time is when I'm tucking my kids in at night. And I always go in and I sit on the side of their bed and I rub their back and I pray for them. And maybe it's because they're avoiding bedtime at that time or maybe they're just relaxed and they like you know, me to scratch in their back or they're just relaxed. But often they will talk and talk and talk at that point for as long as I allow them to. And honestly, at that point in the day, I'm tired. I just want everyone in bed so I can be done. And sometimes I'll come downstairs and my husband, Matt, will say, did you just spend 45 minutes tucking that kid into bed? And more often than I would like to admit, it's literally the last thing that I want to do right then. But often the most important parenting moments I have all day will be in the dark on those moments sitting on the side of the bed. Now you might be thinking, I don't have time for heart-to-heart conversations. I've got two in diapers and a sink full of dirty dishes and soccer practice for the older one across town four nights a week. And I say to you, you need to be creative to make this happen. Having a heart-to-heart conversation might not look like what you think it should look like. I had four babies between the time when Audrey was was eight years old and 15 years old. And I would have liked nothing more during those years than to have dates with my daughter where I took her out shopping or we hung out and, you know, she had cocoa and coffee in a little shop and talked. I would have loved that. I just had that in my mind that this is what mothers and daughters were supposed to do when, you know, you get to the teenage years. But this was just not the reality of our life. Our shopping trips, I coined desperation shopping. And they usually occurred in the turn of seasons when I realized she had no pants that fit her, maybe one pair, and that one had a broken zipper. And so I would like squeeze some times away my, from the littles and we would go to Plato's Closet or Kohl's and I'd be like, okay, we've got 45 minutes to find you a pair of pants. Go. That's what our shopping trips were like. Her prom dress we found in an hour and a half. Her wedding dress we found in one day. I made four appointments at four different shops. Boom, 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 boom. We went, we picked one. So we didn't have what some mothers, mothers and daughters have, but we had many heart-to-heart talks. They usually occurred after I had gotten her younger siblings to bed, and I would go and I would sit on the floor opposite her bed where she was often did her homework. And the house was quiet, and no one was calling, Mommy, and we could talk. This is the current situation with my 14-year-old son. He often does his homework on the couch in our bedroom, and before bed, my, my husband usually likes to chill out by himself and have a snack and read the newspaper in the kitchen, and... I go upstairs to my room, and I'll sit next to my son, purposely sitting next to him to read my Bible, and just letting him know that I'm available for conversation. And the words flow. I had many conversations with my oldest son as we were cleaning up the kitchen together after dinner. And you might say, oh, that's woman's work. You can't give the boys chores, you know, chores in the kitchen. But I even got some color commentary from him when we did the, the you know, kitchen together after dinner. Um, So my point is that you need to make conversation with your kids a priority. And you might need to get creative to have that happen. And you probably need to get rid of the electronic distractions to have that happen. And with your little kids, you're probably going to have to learn to listen with apt attention to rambling narratives about playground escapades or dreams that they have because that's what's important to them. And... 
that is my phone. And no, but it rings like 40 times. So if we could just turn it off. I have two six, I've got two with the flu at home right now. So I'm sure they're calling me for something like they just vomited, but you don't need to know that. So I'm not breathing on you. I'm very far away from you. Um, Okay. Basically, you need to give them your attention even when you want to be doing something else because you're laying the foundation for conversations about the big things. So at this point in my talk, I hope I've impressed upon you the importance of conversing with your children. And now I want to talk for just a few minutes about some of these big things that I've alluded to a few times. You have many, many jobs as a parent, but one of them supersedes all of them. It is your job to first and foremost point your children to God, to do with everything within your power to teach them to embrace what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, the fact is you cannot force your children to love the Lord. I wish we could, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit. But as Christian parents, we must do everything possible within our power to teach our kids about the Lord and to model our faith in front of them and to pray for their own faith to grow. That is our number one job. And to do this, we must talk to our children about the Lord. Our goal needs to be living out Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, which says we must impress God's words upon our children. That's a little verse card that you have this month. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it says, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You are to talk about the Lord at every opportunity. And if you do what I've already described, make it a habit to have conversation with your children and to listen undistracted and to talk, you've laid the the groundwork for this. Their hearts will be soft towards you, and you must mold their worldview into one that has Christ at the center of it. From the earliest ages, you must mold and form their worldview. No matter what schooling choice your your family makes, whether it be public school, homeschool, Christian school, it is your responsibility as a parent to form for them a God-centered worldview. And let me tell you, if you do not form this worldview for them, the world will do it for you, and it won't be a godly one. So the biggest and most important thing that you can talk about with your children is the Lord, truths about Christ. And if you do it from the time that they're young, it won't be natural. I mean, it won't be awkward or unnatural. If if you think your child is going to absorb knowledge about the Lord by osmosis because you believe, that's probably not going to happen real well. Or if you say, oh, well, we bring them to church every Sunday. I'm sure they're getting it. Again, probably not going to be as effective as you want them to be. Deuteronomy 6 says we are to talk to our children about the Lord at every opportunity when we go out when we come in. And what is exactly this godly worldview that we're supposed to be molding for them? It's that Jesus is at the center of our existence, that God is to be honored by our family and served in our family. Read them the Bible and let them see you reading it on your own. Memorize verses together. Pray with them, not just at meal times or at bedside, but throughout the day when something good happens, praise the Lord together. When you're in need, 
pray together, when there's been sin, confess together before the Lord. Talk about family decisions in light of what the Bible says about them. Live your faith. Let them see you talking about Jesus in front of other people. Find a God-honoring, Bible-believing church and get involved there. Sink down roots and let your lives intertwine with other believers. And you do these things, and talking about the Lord will just come naturally. It will be as natural as breathing. Also, we need to let them ask questions about their faith without shutting them down. One of my children in this past year has just been filled with questions about the Bible. And he's been really wrestling with, does the Bible actually say what we say it means? And the questions he asks sometimes just feel like a dagger to my heart because I can see his unbelief and I have prayed all his life for him to have faith. But I let, I let him ask the questions and as he's asking them, I'm praying in my head as he's asking them, Lord, give me the words to say to him. And we talk and we talk. And more often than not lately, I could, his eyes brighten, he understands it, he, he gets it. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to talk to him about his questions. So our number one job as parents is to lead our children to love the Lord and in, in their faith. I think arguably the number two job we have is to teach our children to be in the world but not of the world. We see this principle in scripture, that we aren't to just remove ourselves to some sheltered little cave. We're not to wall off our family and live within those walls. We're to let our light shine before unbelievers, but we are not to be like them. We need to be different. We need to be set apart. And to do this, we'll need to talk to our kids plainly about the things of this world and how those things pervert God's way. And one of the biggest areas, subjects here in, um, under this point would be the birds and the bees about sex. Every parent who is being honest would probably admit that they probably dread this conversation just a little bit. But it is one of the most critical things that we can talk to our kids about. And it's also one area where I think it is very common to drop the ball. I, I was talking with a young woman recently, and she was telling me that she was in a fairly sizable group of young marrieds, and these were people, some of whom had grown up in this church, and some of them had grown up in other churches. And out of this group of young people, only one of them had been told about sex by their parents, only one. And that one was when she was like 16 or 17 years old or something like that, and by then I would assume that she probably had acquired quite a bit of knowledge. Um, and maybe the world had taught her things about sex that really didn't have anything to do with God at that point. But every single one of those young people agreed that they would have liked their parents to have been the ones who told them. And by the way, handing your children a nice little book by a Christian publisher about sex and saying, here, read this, let me know if you have any questions, that does not qualify. Okay, that is not talking to your children about sex. That is not a conversation. And there is likely not a child in this world, a kid in this world, who will come back to their parents and say, oh, I had a question about paragraph three on page 13. Like, that's not going to happen. Handing them a book communicates loudly that sex is just something that we don't talk about. 
I was speaking to a young woman recently, a different young woman, whose parents handed her the book. And she may or may not have read it. She doesn't really recall, but it meant nothing to her. And she was still very naive, and she fell into sin at a young age with a young man, a boy, um, because he offered to teach her the things that her parents had not. And she was curious and naive, and he took advantage. Basically, by not talking about it, her parents missed the opportunity to influence their children in a very critical area, and one that is really important to God. And sex is really important to God. There are so many passages in the Old and New Testaments that lay out God's mind regarding this topic. It's not a topic that he feels neutral about or where it's sort of gray and we say, oh, we don't really know what he wants here. It is very clear and very black and white. And remember the biblical truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he said was wrong is still wrong. And what he said is right is still right. Even though the Bible is thousands of years old, it's the same because he never changes. And you will do well to communicate these truths to your kids. Our family practice is that we talk to our kids about sex quite young, like six or seven. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. This is what we have found. We do this for a couple of reasons. One is that our experience has been that the younger the child is, the less awkward it is. They listen and they tend to be kind of matter of fact about it and they're not as, hor they, you know, they don't really necessarily think it's horrifying. There was one exception to this who shall remain unnamed. But other, the other reason that we um, talk about sex at a very young age is that sex is everywhere in our culture. And even if you try mightily to protect your kids, you are in a race against time to mold their thinking about what is true and right and biblical before the world starts pushing in. Matt talks to the boys and I talk to the girls. So I've had an easier time of it because we have four boys and two girls. But my parents both told me and I still cringe at the memory. First of all, I was 12 and I knew stuff by then. And second of all, like, there is no way I couldn't think of them. You know, they were describing it. I was thinking of them. And I'm sorry, there is not a person in this world who wants to think of their parents doing that. So my strong recommendation would be, you do the girls, let your husband take care of the guys. Um, so we tell them young what it is and what God's plan for it is. And then we impress upon them that this is not to be talked about with younger siblings or with other kids. Like we tell them it's a secret and you're old enough now to know the secret. And we've never had any of them share any information with their siblings. So what God's plan is for sex and the actual logistics is one thing. But there's more than just the birds and the bees talk. Another element of this that is absolutely essential in the culture that we live in is that we, we must talk to our children about pornography. We don't talk to our kids at the same young age as we do about sex in general. Um, but we don't, we don't wait too long either. Studies show that the average age that a child starts looking at pornography in today's culture is 10. 10. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> That's the average. So, you know, there's younger and older happening there. But 10 is the average. And it can begin by accident. 
I'm sure we've all had the experience of you looking up something totally normal and all of a sudden, woo, there's all this stuff that you had no idea or interest in seeing and it's right there on the computer screen. Or it can happen out of curiosity, not so innocently, but what begins on a small scale can quickly blossom into a full-blown habit with every image luring them to look on more and more. And pornography degrades and twists what God has called good. Those sinful images can permanently mar how a young man views women, what he expects from sex, and even when he becomes an adult, he can bring those things into his marriage. I, I am very surprised, increasingly so, I think, about how many parents are in denial about this area. They think, oh, we homeschool, or oh, my son doesn't even talk about girls yet, or they think that because their kid's not in rebellion or a pimply teenager that they couldn't possibly be looking up pornography. But the whole landscape has completely changed. Like, when we were kids, you know, you had to go to, like, some sort of seedy, gross store to go buy a gross, you know, a magazine like that. Now it's just a click of a mouse away. That's all it is. And parents buy their children iPads and phones with the Internet and iPods and laptops with the Internet on it. And they send them to their rooms completely unsupervised, not thinking that the kids could be looking things up in the privacy of their room that they shouldn't be. As my husband says, every guy has either dealt with pornography, is dealing with pornography, or will deal with pornography. And newsflash, this is not just limited to boys. I keep on referring to boys. But girls look up porn just, they have just as much access to it as boys. So take everything I just said and apply it to your daughters as well. I view the internet as a loaded gun. We know a lot of people who own guns, gun enthusiasts. Some of them have it for maybe the protection of their family and their home. Some of them are avid hunters. They go out and they hunt food for their family. But no responsible gun owner would ever just leave a loaded gun lying around for any child to pick up. They would take precautions to keep their child safe from that gun. The internet has a purpose. It's a great tool for a lot of things, and it is not only bad. But our children need to be protected from it. Our families installed something called Net Nanny on our computer and on all our devices in our home, which does a fairly good job of blocking inappropriate material. And then it sends us reports of what's been viewed or searched. I know there's a lot of things out there like that. Um, we have a rule in our house that any device that has the internet on it has to be used in the public areas of our home, not behind closed doors. And that includes when friends come over or whatever. So that's helpful. But when there's a will, there's a way. There's always a way around these things. And so we don't rely on those things by ourselves, themselves. We also talk to our kids about pornography and how it is an offense to God. And I really have totally changed my approach with my younger children in this regard. Like with, um, it used to be that Matt would take our oldest son, he would talk to him about this and they would go out for coffee and that was like the buzzword is they were going to go out and you know have just talk about these things that Matt would hold him accountable but with our younger kids I am just as apt to talk about pornography and inappropriate things on the internet as my husband is it's just too pervasive and I'm on the front lines with them all day long so I have purpose to make it a topic of conversation and it's something that we regularly discuss and pray about 
And I'm not saying that my children haven't sinned in this area, but God has been very merciful to reveal their sin. And they know that it's a sin that will be addressed. It will not be swept under the rug or ignored. So the third and final talk I want to mention is that we need to lay out our family's expectations before our kids. Like the other areas I've mentioned, if we don't talk to them about our expectations, the world will quickly push in and form their opinions about these things. And this is really important. We have to ground those expectations in biblical principles so they don't get the impression that we're just willy-nilly, arbitrarily choosing a bunch of rules and laying them before them. We have to point them to God's word so they understand that it's not just a random opinion. Again, conversation, talking about God's word when we go out, when we come in, when we lie down, when we rise up. Conversation. So what type of expectations am I talking about here? What are your family's views on acceptable types of recreation? What are your standards for dating? How about sleepovers with friends? What expectations does your family have about honoring the Sabbath, about honoring parents? You and your husband may not have even formed opinions about these things for your family yet, especially if you have younger children. But if not, you need to hash some of these things out so that you can be proactive and not just be reacting to situations as they arise. The time to talk about dating is not when your kid turns 18 and you've deemed it you know, an acceptable age to begin dating. You need to talk about dating when they are very, very young and be, begin laying out your expectations for those relationships. Kids start having crushes younger than we would like to admit. I have a nine-year-old who actually has picked out his future wife and is praying for her and trying to make a good impression on her dad whenever he has the opportunity. <laughs> now, that's a little bit extreme, I realize, but it seems that, like, about second grade by about second grade, they're coming home from school with little crushes, you know, tales of who has a crush on who. It's young. And we need to lay out our expectation for what relationships are going to look like in our family. It's another opportunity to live out Deuteronomy 6. God has laid forth opportunities for all, like, um, he's laid forth scripture for all of these different things. And we need to talk to our kids about it. I know a Christian woman with teenage boys, and she said once to me, oh, we don't allow, we don't allow our boys to talk about girls in our home because they're not ready to date yet, and I feel like it's disrespectful to talk about girls in that way. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> that is a missed opportunity. You are missing an opportunity here. Wasted. And it wasn't a surprise to me to learn that both of her boys ended up in relationships with premarital sex. You might be thinking, oh, wow, this is kind of heavy stuff. My only baby is like six months old. But I'm just here to tell you this is the reality of the world that your children are growing up in. And I would encourage you to come up now with a plan to deal with these things. And we don't need to be fearful. God is bigger than any sin in this world. And he has sent his son to wash our guilt away if we trust him. Our children are in his hands. He did entrust those babies to you. No matter what else you do during your life, raising those children are 
your life's work. That is your life's work. And you're not just raising them. You're reaching into the future to future generations that you might never know by how you raise that child today. So take time to talk to them. Talk about the little things. Talk about the important things. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you go out, when you lie down and when you get up. And pray, pray. I can't emphasize that enough. You can do more praying for their souls than anything else that you could possibly do. Ask the Lord to go ahead of you and soften their hearts. And then trust God to act. I think it was really good to think about all the ways that we talk with our kids. I know for my own self that I really believe that the more conversation that we have with our kids about the normal everyday stuff like painting nails and you know school assignments and cool sports situations and hopes and dreams and friendships and recipes, the more we have a chance to talk with our kids about the important things, especially about God. It was such good wisdom today. Hey, thanks for listening to this special bonus episode. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand as an unshaken mom because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.